All right, well, it is certainly a blessing to be with you today and to share from the Word of God. Truly, that is why I do what I do, because I indeed love to tell the story. And we're actually going to talk about a man in the Scriptures that loved to tell the story as well. Um, And at the start of the story, his name is Saul. By the end of the story, his name would be Paul, who is responsible for many portions of our New Testament. And um, so we will be um, in Acts chapter 9 this morning. I did want to say as you're turning there, and by way of announcement, that I... Um, when this pandemic hit and I was sent home from uh, the Potter's house on March 13th, there were, there were two main things on my mind. One was, am I going to be able to come back to work this semester? And the other was, what's going to happen to my podcast? Because those are, many of you know I go to um, the studios of WJQ and record there a few times a month. And that was not an opportunity that was afforded to me for these last several weeks. Well, I had a couple um, uh, shows pre-recorded, and once that was done, I contemplated, do I put the show on hiatus, or do I um, learn to do this myself? So I got on YouTube and started learning things about audio production so that I could do the show myself each week, and I've been doing that for three months. Um, And through the course of that, I um, decided to look at different audio equipment because I'd always wanted to upgrade my my home studio. And I found a really nice um, mixer that is going to allow me to do um, professional level audio recording from my home. And so I I informed WJQ this week that I would not be returning uh, to their studios, but I will continue to produce my podcast out of my home. So just really grateful how God has grown me and allowed me to have even more freedom in my ministry in that way. So God is in the business of bringing good out of what man intends for evil. And uh, through his wondrous grace, uh, the gospel will continue to go forth through the Speaking for Him podcast. So I just wanted to make you aware Of that, and then also, uh, we are in the midst of a project where I'm actually recording the the book, The Pilgrim's Progress, as a multi-voice theatrical production, which will premiere on my podcast this fall. So, very excited about how it's turned out so far. Um, Video conferencing is another wonderful technology that I had never really used before this time, but I use it a lot now, and I'm very thankful to God for it. So. All that to say, there's a lot to be thankful for, even in the midst of this time of uncertainty. Uh, Just continue to pray for the Potter's House and other schools in the area as we prepare for fall. At this point, we believe we will be in the building, but we're not sure yet because it's basically all up to the governor on what she ultimately decides. So, just pray for wisdom as that goes. Alright, as we get into today's passage, I just want to read a quick verse from Acts chapter 7, um, verse 58. Uh, I think it's a good introduction because, um, actually let's start with 57, because it tells us who Saul of Tarsus was before his conversion. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul. And so this this is the Saul of Tarsus, the Paul that we are going to be dealing with today. Before we do that, I would like to open in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the freedom to worship I thank you for the people around our state, around our country, that are standing up for our freedoms today, Lord, and 
In a time when freedom seems to be a bad word, Lord, I just thank you for that. And I just pray that we would um, be thankful for our freedoms, not take them for granted, and above all, that we would offer people the hope of the freedom that is found only in Jesus Christ. I pray that as we contemplate your word, and as we see the story of Saul unfold, that we would realize that no one is beyond the hope of redemption, even the one that we think is least likely to come to you, uh, you may have a great plan for that person. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to um, start reading. I, I basically called um, this Paul a man made new. And I think it's interesting that one of the most popular verses that Paul wrote that we know and quote regularly, he said, If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And if anyone knew about that, if anyone knew what it was to be a man made new, it was surely the Apostle Paul. Let's read the first three verses of Acts chapter 9. And my first point is what Paul was. So if you're taking notes, my first point is what Paul was. And we already read in Acts chapter 7, 58, a little bit about Paul. He was consenting to Stephen's death. And um, in Acts 9, 1-3 we read, And Saul... Yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of the way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there near and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. So uh, we have this angry um, guy who is determined in his zeal for God, ironically, to kill the followers of the way. It's interesting that they were considered, they were called the followers of the way um, because Jesus said what? I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Paul is going all out. He doesn't just say, I'm going to report these people wherever I find them. He's like, I want to go and round them up. It's not enough for me to speak against them. I need to go and round them up and make sure I bring them back. And he was, he was hell-bent. If you could say anybody was hell-bent, you could say that about the Apostle Paul. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. For those of us who have been redeemed, we know there was a time, maybe we don't remember the exact date, but we know there was a time when the light of God shined into our hearts, and we realized that the cross which was once to us foolish is no longer so. It's hard for me as a redeemed sinner to look at some of my unredeemed friends and say, why don't you get it? Why don't you understand the gloriousness of the gospel? And I just want to shake people sometimes and say, your house is on fire. You don't understand it. You know, we're, 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 I'm going through this Pilgrim's Progress project, and that was Christian's burden. He's like, we're, we're in the city of destruction. It's going to end. And he tried to get his wife and his children to go with him, and they wouldn't. And they tried to get him to stay, and he wouldn't. He stopped his ears, and he left, because it was a city of destruction. And sometimes we have to just allow people 
to be given over. Sometimes with my close family and friends, I pray that God would bring other people into their lives to, to show them the knowledge of the cross. Because sometimes our proximity to someone makes it harder for us to share the gospel with them. But we can still plant seeds. Paul said some plant some water but God gives the increase. Now I don't know if anybody had planted into Paul but I know that he was observing these people because he was looking specifically for followers of the way so he at least had an intellectual understanding of what a follower of the way was. And let's look a little bit more about Paul's own words about this time in his life by looking at 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. 1 Timothy 1, 12 and 13. If someone gets there, if you could read it for us, I would appreciate it. That is so convicting to me because sometimes I want to give up on people and not believe that they can be redeemed. But Paul said, I was formerly a blasphemer. But, but God showed me mercy. I've mentioned this before, but the, the radio series Unshackled, if you're not listening to it, I'd encourage you to do so. You can find it on their website, unshackled.org. And over and over on that show, you hear about people that were diametrically opposed to God, running the wrong way, even trying to kill themselves, or being reckless in an automobile, and God spares their lives and brings them to the place where they said, God was chasing me, and I had to and bow the knee and accept him. Because I was going on the way to destruction, but God was merciful. Paul never says, I'm this great guy. As a matter of fact, in Romans chapter 7, he says, those things that I would do, those I do not. And those things that I would not do, those things... I do, O oh, wretched man that I am. He doesn't say I was. Some people try to coin, frame it as, O oh, oh, wretched man that I was. Like this was a process that Paul was walking through. And surely, as we go in our Christian life, we should get to the place where we are sinning less because we have a greater desire to follow our Lord and Master. But Paul never claimed perfection. As a matter of fact, in his one of his last letters, in one of the last things he wrote here on earth, he said, Christ Jesus came into the world. To save sinners. Of whom I am present tense chief. That's an encouragement to me. Because he was also able to say, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. It's important that he didn't say imitate me, period. Because he knew there was nothing in him that is in his flesh that was good. J.I. Packer said this way, he said, sinners cannot obey the gospel any more than the law without a renewal of heart. Paul said the law is a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The children of Israel were never expected to follow the whole law. That's why there was the sacrifice 
system. What God was trying to accomplish was to show the children of Israel, you can't do this by yourself. And that these things are but shadows of a new and living way that is coming. Jesus said, Moses testified of me, if you were Moses' disciples, then you would know me. So now we know what Paul was. Now we're going to read about Paul's change of heart. Acts 9, 4 to 9 reads, And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he, trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? And the Lord saith unto him, Arise, and go into the city, and it shall be told thee what thou must do. And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were open, he saw no man. But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither did eat nor drink. I find it interesting that Jesus points out that by persecuting the Christians, Paul was persecuting him. Remember in, in the Gospels, Jesus says, whatever you have done, To the least of these, my brother, you have done unto me. And whatever you have not done to my brethren, you have not done it unto me. And then, you know, he just addresses Saul directly. I wonder if how often. Paul would marvel about the fact that God spoke to him directly by name audibly and had this conversation with him. And then he says, he says, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. He says, I know you want to resist this, but I need you is basically what he's saying. And then I love the first thing Paul does here. It says, And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will you have me to do? I think often when we preach, preach the gospel, we talk about the great gifts that God will give us if we trust him, and those are true. He set me in the family of God, something I have been so very thankful for in this time of pandemic and social distancing. Been able to reach out not only to my family members, but also to friends and say, you know what, I'm not really having a good day. Because I'm here in my house, not able to go and do the social things that I wanted to do. And it's hard to, to be able to reach out to others who are struggling as well. Hard enough with my disability, even harder with all the restrictions. But knowing that God gave us each other and how important that is. But Paul's first Inclination when he becomes a believer, when he's changing his direction, is what would you have me to do? 
And I think we need to encourage young believers and people who we are presenting the gospel to that God has something for them to do when they enter his family. And that the question we should be asking is not simply, what will you give me? Because he lays out what he will give us. But to ask him, what must I do? And the Lord said, Arise and go to the city, and it will be told thee what thou must do. You ever think about how different this story might be if Paul said, Wait a second. Tell me what I must do, and then I'll go into the city. But he doesn't do that. The zeal that he had for persecuting the church for putting it in shambles, was now turned 180. And his response was, what must I do, Lord? And the men which journeyed with him stood speechless, hearing a voice, but seeing no man. And then they led him into the city. I wonder what they were thinking. We never hear about who they were or what their response was. We only know that they brought him to Damascus. And then he spent three days and three nights fasting. And not even taking water. I think that's interesting to me. But not only did he not take food, he didn't take water either. So we, we, we see this obvious change of heart. And it's kind of interesting that certain of the religious leaders would later say, we're going to fast. We're not going to eat until we capture Paul. I wonder how skinny they allowed themselves to get, because we never see any follow-up to that, but it is interesting. And Paul would repeat his testimony a few times in the book of Acts, and I would like to bring us to the passage in Acts chapter 26. 16 to 19, I believe he's before Herod Agrippa at this point. Acts 26, 16 and 19, if someone could read that, I would appreciate it. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. So, Paul is giving us a little bit more detail about the call that. Jesus placed on his life, said, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I wonder what Paul's initial thoughts of that were, but it's a very specific calling. And uh, God promised to be with him through it. He said, I'm going to send you, you're going to do this work for me. And as I have yielded myself to God's call, I have seen him uh, work miracles in my life and guide and direct my calling if I trust him. Now, I haven't been perfect at this. I've resisted. But God always ultimately shows that his way is the best. And I can testify that I would rather you choose to follow him wholeheartedly today than resist him as much as I did in my younger days. The uh, Rick Warren says this, Through salvation our past has been forgiven, our present is given meaning, and our future is secure. 
There is nothing more complete than our salvation in Christ. Because it covers our past, it influences our present, and it promises our future. Or I should say it erases our past. It erases our past. It influences our present. And it promises our future. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind, I press on toward the high calling of God, which is in Christ Jesus. Pressing toward the mark. Now, I think being human that he did think of Stephen. But he knew that God had forgiven him. Alright, my third point today is about God's call to Ananias. In Acts chapter 9 verses 10 to 16 we read and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias and to him said the Lord in the vision Ananias and he said behold Lord behold I am here Lord And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth. And hath seen a vision, seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in, and putting his hand on him that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he hath done to thy saints in Jerusalem. And here he hath authority from the chief priests to bind all that call on thy name. But the Lord said unto him, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and the children of Israel. For I will show him how many great things he must suffer for my name's sake. So first of all, Imagine you're Ananias, you're kind of minding your own business, and God comes to you, and he speaks to you, and again, it seems like it's a very audible conversation. And he says, Behold, here I am, Lord. When God calls us to do something, that is the response that we should have. Here am I. Jesus said, my meat is to do the will of him who sent me. And as believers, that should be our goal. Second thing I want to point out in this section is, he says, arise and go into the street which is called straight. I love that. What did Jesus say? He said, straight is the way that leadeth to life. So, I think even God has a sense of humor sometimes, so he sends Paul to Straight Street. And he says, go to the house of Judas and inquire for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prays. And then God basically says, I've told him that a man named Ananias will come to him and will lay his hands on his eyes so that he may receive sight. So he's given Paul a very specific vision. Ananias is coming that you may receive sight. Then Ananias kind of has a check in his spirit and he's like, Lord, are you sure? I have heard by many of this man how much evil he's done to the saints 
in Jerusalem and how he has authority to destroy their lives, basically. Authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on thy name. Are you sure you don't want me to go to another street to find another man who might be better suited for this? But then the Lord says, Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me. God chooses the weak things of the world to confound the wise. I don't think ever in the whole pages of the Bible God has ever chosen the one that people would expect. Except I suppose that he singled out Saul, King Saul, but we all know how that worked out. But the basic premise of God is I don't look on the outward appearance. I look on the heart. And see, Paul had had a change of heart. He had turned 180. He had already asked God, what must I do? What would you have me to do? So God is answering this question. And I find it interesting. It says he will bear my name before the Gentiles and kings. Where is he bearing the name of Jesus in Acts chapter 26? To Herod Agrippa. And he could have gone free on multiple occasions, but he said, I have to testify before Nero. And tradition tells us that Nero had Paul beheaded. But Paul was faithful to what God had said. In verse 16, For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake. We definitely don't see it on the scale of other countries or other places in the world or anything to the degree that Paul has seen yet. But we are seeing more and more how our culture is causing those to suffer for Jesus' sake. The Major League Baseball season started again this week. They're going to do an abbreviated 60-game season. A lot of people are excited that sports are back. And all of the teams decided that they would kneel before the national anthem because of racial inequality. And some of the players stood up for the national anthem. Some stayed kneeled. But there was one man of the four teams that played on opening day, there was one man who never kneeled. And he said simply, I can only kneel to one. And that is God. And he was ridiculed and mocked in the media for hiding behind his religion. We don't have new problems, people. We have regurgitated problems of the same ones that have been in existence from the beginning of time. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were told to bow before the statue of Nebuchadnezzar, or they'd be thrown into the fiery furnace. And they said, whether God delivers us or no, which I think is an important thing to distinguish. They didn't know that God was going to deliver them without a scratch. They said, whether God delivers us or no, we will not bow down to the graven image that you have set up. And I pray very often, because God, Jesus said he will give us the words to speak and the Courage to speak on his behalf when the time comes. I pray very often that God will give me that kind of courage if the time comes. Because often I don't feel it in myself 
today. But are we willing to suffer persecution for Jesus' sake? And he's basically telling Ananias, that's the life that I have for Paul. He's going to suffer many persecutions for my sake. And then, uh, um, if we could read by way of cross-reference, 2 Timothy 1, 8-12. 2 Timothy 1, 8-12. ashamed to testify about our Lord or ashamed me, his prisoner. But join me in my sufferings for the gospel by the power of God who has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to life through the gospel. And of this gospel I am appointed to be a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet I am not ashamed because I know whom I have believed and am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him for that day. You, you think about that passage and he basically says join me in my suffering when we read devotionals we don't usually read devotionals that take that tactic we usually want to read comforting and encouraging things and surely there are comforting and encouraging things in the scripture but Paul is basically saying join me in my suffering why? because I'm confident that he who I've committed every, everything to will be faithful to give me what, what he has promised on that final day. I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he is able to keep that, as the hymn says, which I've committed unto him against that thing. Paul never preached rainbows and gumdrops. Paul didn't preach a prosperity gospel. As a matter of fact, he said, I know how to prosper. I know how to prosper. And he said, I know how to suffer need. And he said, I'm resolved in whatsoever state I am. Therewith to be content. He never said prospering was wrong, but his focus was not on the prospering of his finances, but on the prospering of souls. He said, knowing therefore the terror of God, we persuade men. Oh, that we would all have that zeal for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. I know what's coming for those that reject God and I don't want any of them to suffer it. The late Reverend J.H. Jewett said he saw 70 Salvation Army officers receive their commission for foreign service. Not one of them had any idea where the command would send them, whether to Africa or India or Brazil or to a crowded city in Japan. When each man received his commission, he welcomed it with a salute. Paul didn't know where this journey would send him. There were times when he wanted to go a certain place and the Spirit of God prevented them. There were times when God sent a messenger to Paul in a dream saying, 
Like, come over to Macedonia and help us. There was a time when Paul was, was on a ship, and he was about to be shipwrecked. And he actually told Paul to tell the people on the ship that no one could leave the ship. Everybody, if they stayed with the ship, they would be saved. But if they left the ship, they would be killed. Just imagine the confidence and authority that Paul had to speak in that time. And then there was another time when Paul, God said, don't be afraid. I have many people in this city. So just like Jesus before him, Paul was not taken until his time had come. We can be assured of this one thing, that we will not be taken until our time has come. I've had a, a few near-death experiences. One being that I drove my wheelchair into the YMCA pool when I was nine years old. Thought I was going to wake up in glory. Uh, I had another experience when I was leaving work at Right to Life of Michigan in Wyoming. It was the winter. I was going down the street to the Russes on 28th Street because the coffee shop across from my work was not just closed, they were closed for business. They weren't open. So I made this trek, but as I was going down the sidewalk, I kept getting stuck in the snow on the sidewalk. and I didn't want to freeze to death. So I went out on the road and was riding my wheelchair down the side of, 20, of Byron Center to get to 28th Street. Not an advisable thing. But God spared me that night. And it was driven home to me on both of those occasions that there's no way for anything to harm me until God says... It's time for you to come home, Andrew. And until then, I want to be faithful to preach the Word of God. So let's look at our final point. Paul's commission and obedience. I really appreciate Paul's obedience. You know, like I said, often we resist. Jonah resisted the call of God. Jonah went the other way. I think Jonah is an interesting book because Jonah basically starts the book angry at God. Then in the middle of the book, he's angry at God because God saves Nineveh. And he said, I knew you would save Nineveh. I knew you would do it, God. I didn't want you to save Nineveh. That's why I went the other direction. And then at the end of Jonah, we read about the gourd. How the gourd had grown up and gave Jonah shade. And, and God killed the gourd. And said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry? And Jonah basically says, yes. I do have a right to be angry. And that's the end of the book. I do pray and hope that we see Jonah in heaven, but I don't know, because it's a very interesting ending to that story. But the point being, Saul becoming Paul does what God asks him to do. Let's read verses 17 to 22. And Ananias went his way and entered into his house. And putting his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord, even Jesus, that appeared unto thee in the way. <laughs> 
as thou camest, has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost. And immediately there fell from his eyes as there had been scales, and he received sight forthwith and arose and was baptized. And when he had received me, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples which were at Damascus. And straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues, that he was the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and said, Is this not he that destroyed them that called on the name in Jerusalem? And came hither for that intent that he might bring them bound unto the chief priests. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt in Damascus, proving that this is very Christ. This is why Paul would later write, If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Because yes, in bodily form, this was the same man that came to Damascus with threatenings and anger and ill intent toward the Christians. But when the Holy Spirit fills a man, he changes a man. He takes out the heart of stone and he puts in its place a heart of flesh. To the point that Paul would even say at times that he was jealous for you with a godly jealousy that he would rejoice in prayer and I'm not sure specifically if it mentions weeping but it implies that he was greatly emotionally invested in the churches that he served. This man who was an angry stoic seeking to ruin everyone. And we know that people were not extremely ready to accept him. But we know that he went to the synagogues and preached Christ. Now we know that he spent some time in the desert to prepare for his main ministry, but he didn't waste time and say, I'm not ready to preach Christ. He preached Christ Because he could not. I like what Alistair Begg said. He said, if you can be anything but a preacher, do that. But if you know you can't do anything else but be a preacher, then you know it's your calling. When I contemplate not being a preacher, I know that I would not be doing the right thing. Because God called me to share the word of God. My question to you as we end here today is, do you have the assurance of salvation? Have you had that 180 turn in your life as has the Apostle Paul? 1 John 4, 14, and 15, and we'll close with this. 1 John 4, 14, and 15, if someone can get that. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him. That's what we read in in this passage with Paul. He went to the synagogue and he testified Jesus was the Son of God.
We don't read a list of people, but I do wonder how many people might have been saved simply from the fact that they saw this man who was so hell-bent against the way become part of the way, and they saw how it changed his life, and then they made a change themselves. Again, God and Luke didn't find it necessary to write it down, but I wonder. My prayer for you is that you have found him who says, He who cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. I would love to talk to you further about that if you wish. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would be with us today. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your mercy to us in allowing the church building to be open again. Lord, I pray that you would arrest the coronavirus in a way that is beyond explanation where you would get the glory, where it would be a miracle, and where things could continue, where things could open up again, where we would realize our need for each other. This social distancing in some ways is is a tactic of the devil because you made us for community. You made us to be with each other, to encourage one another, to help one another. May we never lose that. And above all, may we continue to walk worthy of the one who has called us, your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.